right, tell me when. Oh, okay.
God, we just take a few moments to quiet down our hearts wherever we are in the world. And we pray for uh, you to catch us up into your heart. That you would pour out love and hope and faith and peace over everyone who's listening, even now, God. We pray for peace in the face of all of the fear and uncertainty in the world right now. May we be bearers of your peace uh, and bearers of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome again to Blue Water Mission. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. You're welcome. Good morning, everybody. So if you're here joining us for the first time in this way, we welcome you. Um, I wish we would get to meet you in person, uh, but we're doing church this way virtually. And so hopefully in the future, we get to meet you um, that way. So um, this is the portion that we will do announcements. So let me kind of cover it. First thing we talk about is our tithes and our offerings. If you feel like Blue Water is your home church and you feel led to give, please send in your checks via mail, or if you want to give online, feel free to do that as well, okay? Uh, one thing that we want to really promote is, uh, we're going to be more active on, actually, is on our Facebook page. A bunch of our leaders are going to be posting a lot more things, things that will be encouragement to you, tips in terms of how you kind of live life in a certain way in this season. So I encourage you to go and check that out. Jordan has been talking a lot about us trying to be a blessing to our community. Um, people around us, our neighbors. So I want to share a very short testimony of what happened to me on, on Wednesday. So on Wednesday at about 6 p.m., I just felt like I just need to do some shopping, a little bit of getting out of the house and needing to just get, get a few things. And it was pouring. It was really, really pouring hard. So I got into the parking lot getting ready to go into the grocery store. And I see this homeless man just hunkering down uh, in a very small area and getting partially wet. He's wearing a garbage bag just to kind of keep himself dry. And the Lord just said, you gotta bless that guy. And I was just so focused about groceries. And so what I did is I gave him an umbrella and he, he just had the biggest smile I saw the entire week. He was so blessed by an umbrella. Um, and so I got to pray for him. His name was Samuel. And I said, what do you want prayer for? And he really said, I just want good health. I want good health. So I prayed for him. I just blessed him and I, I walked away. Um, and then the Lord said, give him a hot meal. So I went into the store, I found whatever I could find. And at that time, and the only thing really, they had really the largest thing that was hot was one rotisserie chicken. So I bought that. Sorry, Ben, it wasn't turkey, it was chicken. So I bought that, I just gave it to him and I just blessed him again. Uh, and uh, he was so happy. And so he gave me permission to take a picture of him and uh, to share with you guys. So we're gonna put that up. And so that was just the biggest smile I saw all week. And so he just gave me a lot of perspective that even though I may feel like I have certain needs and wants, there's so many people out there have much bigger needs than, than we do. So I encourage you to go and bless someone out there, okay? This is a portion that normally we would have our keiki come up and we say prayer over them, but I'm gonna do that right now. So if you have keiki in your house, let's bow our heads and let's pray for our kids. Lord Jesus, we come and we pray, Father, for your covering over our kids wherever they're at. Lord, help them to um, just be at peace with their families in this time of just uncertainty. I pray, Father, that you would just speak to them in their dreams. I pray, Father, that they will understand and just be, um, just love and cultivate really a, a culture of peace and love, Lord, in their home along with their parents. I pray, Father, for your covering over them. Keep them safe. Keep them whole. Keep them engaged. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, welcome to the Blue Water Mission Sunday service, such as it is. Happy that you're here with us. Let me pray for a second. Lord, I, 
I uh, invite your Holy Spirit to inhabit our homes. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, as we've lifted our hearts to you today in worship and in faith, uh, that you would provide um, fellowship by your Spirit, power by your Spirit, faith attitude by your Spirit. I pray that you would raise us up to be faith travelers in this world and miracle workers where necessary. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, God bless you. I hope everybody is healthy and happy. As of the recording of this sermon, there are 36 confirmed cases of the coronavirus in the Hawaiian Islands. And just because um, I don't hear anybody else saying this yet, um, let me say that's just astonishingly good. Uh, and praise God uh, for where we are um, God bless everyone who has contracted the virus, of course, but Hawaii is a, a tourist center on the globe. People have traveled here from all over the world, and yet, uh, so far, we only have 36 cases, and only two of them are not directly related to travel. Um, so, um, praise God uh, for that, and um, may it please the Lord to, uh, to stop the contagion there, and... Uh, May it please the Lord that the Hawaiian Islands escape this without a single fatality. Um, I'm expecting the Lord to be faithful, and I hope you are as well. And all of that is just a good excuse for us to be light in the community, uh, to be salt in your world. Uh, I pray that you are finding the faith and the optimism and the strength to go out uh, and visit your near neighbors, the ones who might need a check-in. That would be great or checking in with people by text. I think that would be a great idea. I'm suggesting that all of us contact a couple people every day by text messaging or phone uh, just to let them know that you're thinking of them. That's a great quarantine strategy for us all, I think, to, uh, to cast the net of fellowship and to continue relationships by the means that are available to us. So God bless you for that. Be light, my friends, be light. Uh, I wanted to give everybody a property search update because that's something that's been going on at Blue Water. This week, uh, as part of a group of uh, other interested parties, Blue Water submitted a proposal uh, for the property in Benoa that we have been considering. A proposal is not an offer. A proposal is not a bid. A proposal is just a, a way of signaling to the sellers hey, we're interested in this property. And because it's a big piece of property, Blue Water had to do this in, uh, in concert with a, a group uh, of, of different entities that are interested in using different slices of the property for different things. Um, and, and we'll see how the proposal is received by the sellers. There are other people proposing this week as well. Um, surely um, a number of them will be in command of far more cash than our little group of interested parties are. Um, but we'll see what the Lord does with that. We're just working it so far. We're just working it. Um, it's not real to a point yet where we need to talk about um, coming up with money uh, for the purchase. What will happen is if our proposal is accepted, uh, then the group of parties that we're a part of uh, will make a bid. Um, Blue Water won't need to be... Um, to participate in that financially uh, until quite far down the line. So uh, as I've said 
over these past weeks. We are at the very beginning of the process. We're not at the end of the process. Unless they're interested in our proposal, the sellers won't even give us all the information that we need to make strong financial evaluations and things like that. So stay tuned and keep it in prayer. It is uh, the longest of long shots, uh, but we're working it in faith and you never know. Um, so I will update you as, uh, as, as real things uh, crop up. Um, I don't know what you have done this morning, but perhaps you need a warm-up question to get the blood flowing, to get the faith flowing, to get your mental juices flowing. I know the people congregated here in the office definitely need some help getting their mental juices going this morning. Yeah. I can see it. Give me the juice. So here's a question, and, and it might be a familiar question to you if you've been hanging around Blue Water doing, oh ministry for a while. The question is this, why doesn't the miracle always happen? Why doesn't the miracle always happen? Crowd, why doesn't the miracle always happen? Mm, not enough faith. Not, not enough faith, they say, because faith makes miracles happen. This is a principle that we kind of understand, the power of God working through faith. I think Nick has a response. Sometimes God knows better than you do. So you're pursuing the miracle, and God says, Nick, not so fast. You are wrong again. Often, often. Ah, it might be that the Lord wants to disciple you through the uh, situation, and you're not asking for the right miracle. We'll put it that way. Now, Brian, I know you have a great answer. What is it? It's an opportunity to grow in trust. It's an opportunity to grow in trust. This is an opportunity-minded man. He's saying that when the miracle doesn't happen, it's just an invitation to grow in valuable things like trust. He's spinning it positively. A man committed to growth snaps for Brian. Oh, Quack is raising his hands. This should be good. Quack? I suck. <laughs> man, what Ohana group are you in? <laughs> You need some help, brother. <clears throat> Prayer line for Quack after service. Um, you know, whether you're uh, an active uh, miracle performer or not, um, you, uh, you probably have had occasion in your life to, to pray to the Lord. You might have had occasion in your life to pray desperately to the Lord. Why doesn't the desperate prayer always get answered in the way that we want? We might have theoretical answers to that question, um, but even our, our theoretical answers might not be emotionally satisfying. It's a point of tension for all of us who follow God in this world. Where is God in my moment of crisis? Why doesn't God do the thing I think you should do to help me out of this situation? We've all been there. If, uh, if you're not an active performer in miracle ministry, if, if you're not actively pursuing miracles, sometimes it's easier to believe in miracles. You know, God could do anything he wants to do. Well, it's easy to say that. It's harder to try to perform a miracle or to pray for a supernatural breakthrough and then not see it. That's where the rubber meets the road. So the more active you are in the life of faith, the more active you are in the life of ministry and miracle working, I think the more challenging this question will be for you. Why doesn't it always happen the way that you want it to happen? Here's 
an answer that we'll be walking through today. Sometimes the miracle not happening just means that it needs a little work. You have to work the problem. You have to work the miracle. You have to do a little bit of miracle work. And yes, indeed, as the crowd has anticipated, that often amounts to doing some faith work. Our passage this morning comes from Matthew chapter 17. We are in a sermon series on the book of Matthew. But in particular, we are taking a look at stuff Jesus did. And here's a story about um, a, uh, a demonic deliverance and healing that Jesus did for a very sick little boy uh, that was brought to him by his father. This is a favorite story of mine. It appears in uh, multiple Gospels. My favorite version of this story is actually in the book of Mark. Uncharacteristically, Mark offers a longer and more detailed version of this story, uh, which is probably why I like it. This one is a little more boiled down, but let's take it on its own terms. Let's take it on the terms that Matthew presents it in, uh, and the story goes like this. Maybe it's familiar to you. The backdrop is that Jesus and his uh, chief disciples, Peter, James, and John, have just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're arriving back to the valley floor, and a crowd uh, has gathered there around the other disciples. Uh, and, uh, and this is how it begins. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into fire or into water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. It's a failure story. This desperate man has brought his desperately sick son to Jesus' ministry team for help, and the disciples try to heal the boy, and they fail. And the father is understandably distraught. Uh, when he has a chance, he runs up to Jesus and says, This is not working. Here's Jesus' response. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And that's Jesus being very uh, seeker-friendly, very warm and opening. He just goes off. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Bring the boy over here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Jesus pulls it off in the end. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private a little later and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's the story. Ends with a very famous line. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. That line gets quoted even by non-believers. I like this story, uh, as I noted, 
because it starts with a statement of failure. And whenever I see a moment of failure in Scripture, I get really excited because I know I'm about to learn something. It's in our moments of failure and setback, I think, that learning accelerates if, uh, if you're open and uh, paying attention. So I get interested immediately in this story. Uh, the father uh, brings his uh, very sick little boy to Jesus. Uh, we would probably have diagnosed the boy with something like epilepsy or some sort of neurological disorder. Uh, it turns out that there's a, uh, a demonic component uh, in this story that Jesus has to cast the demon out first, and then the boy gets healed physically. Um, when Jesus hears the father's complaint, I brought my son to your disciples, and they failed me. They could not help. When Jesus hears that, it's like he gets triggered. He just goes off in that moment. I love it when Jesus goes off. I love it when he has these flashes of anger, because I know that his anger is always justified. There's always something powerful and important going on. He just goes off on these guys when he hears that the little boy was not helped. He says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? He is very upset. In that statement, he diagnoses a problem uh, in the crowd, in the people. He diagnoses their lack of faith. He's saying, you guys have some serious faith issues. Oh, unbelieving generation. Uh, that word generation in the Greek um, should perhaps be translated differently. You could translate it just people or, you know, crowd or world or something like that. He's saying essentially, all y'all just lack faith. I can't believe you guys your lack of faith. You are unbelieving and, and you're perverse. You're twisted, literally. Something has gone wrong with you and Jesus is just exasperated uh, beyond bearance at this point. And true enough, when you think about it, the crowd that had been following Jesus, not to mention the disciples that were in the crowd, uh, the nine disciples that did not go up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, probably should have pretty good faith at this point. We're, we're in chapter 17 in the book of Matthew. It's actually, you know, we're, we're like beyond halfway in the story. They have seen, I don't know how many miracles at this point. They have seen Jesus cast out, I don't know how many demons. And perhaps more significantly, the disciples who have been following Jesus have themselves participated in his miracle ministry. They have, them, have themselves heal a lot of people. They have themselves cast out a lot of demons. So they're veterans, is what I'm saying. The, the ministry team is a veteran ministry team. And the congregation of people that have been following Jesus around, they are a veteran congregation at this point. And I think that probably feeds into Jesus' strong reaction. He's like, oh, seriously? We're still here? We're still at this point where you guys have unbelief in situations like this, I, I can't believe it. They probably should have had good faith by then. But they don't. And that leaps out at me. They don't. And this is a very good point to consider. Faith 
varies. Faith goes up and down in people. Faith goes up and down day by day in a lot of us. Even among the heroes of faith, like you know the disciples that were following Jesus around. Faith can be high or faith can be low. And different things influence the faith level of, of you and the people around you, the crowd around you. And things can spin off center pretty quickly where faith is concerned. They can get twisted, or in Jesus' words, they can get perverse. You know, you're doing okay in faith, you're seeing a lot of miracles, you're seeing some breakthrough, and then, I don't know, something goes wrong, right? And suddenly, the ship is sinking. Faith varies. It's just a reality in, in our life. My faith varies uh, quite a bit. Yours probably does as well. <clears throat> there have been a handful of times in my life uh, where I've tried to uh, do some supernatural healing or, or miracle where I felt like my faith was about as good as faith can be. I remember one story, gosh, I must have been about 30 years old. So this was a while back. Um, um, it was a, a remarkable episode for me. I, I still remember it um, strongly. Uh, I'd been called to, um, to pray for uh, a young woman who was sort of on the cusp of faith herself. She was figuring Jesus out, but she was very sick. Um, she had a, a very serious digestive problem, a problem in her organs, and, uh, and other spiritual things going on in her life as well. Uh, and so I was invited to come in and pray for healing, and we sat down to pray. I conversed with her a little bit. I started to pray, and it was, it was a rare moment for me. I, I just felt the Spirit of God descend upon me, and it's almost like I could feel the flush of power in my body in that moment. And I knew beyond knowing, I was certain beyond certainty that I was about to heal that young woman in, in the power of God. I just had zero doubt. Um, so almost without thinking about it, my whole posture changed. I took on a very commanding tone and I just told you know, the afflicting spirits to leave her alone and I told her organs to be healed and boom, they were done. Uh, and, uh, and the young lady knew it immediately and said as much. Uh, she hasn't suffered uh, a day since from that particular problem. Here's why I tell that story. I tell that story because I don't have very many stories like that. I've participated since then in some hundreds of healings, some hundreds of deliverances in places all over the world. And let me testify to you that I very, very rarely feel perfect faith in the moment. I almost always have the faith to try because I'm really good at that. But certainty, not very often, uh, which is to say that I'm still not really an all-star in the faith game. You know, my faith varies. I know what it feels like to have incredibly high faith. I've also struggled with depression. I know what it feels like to have pretty low faith. Usually I'm somewhere around here. I know how bad low faith can hurt. I know how amazing high faith can be uh, for me and anyone who happens to be standing in front of me at the moment. But mostly my experience is, is variable. Why? 
Why am I like that? Well, sin, probably. Well, that's the shock to everyone that I'm sinful sometimes. No. Seriously? Really? Wow. I quit. <clears throat> None of you are any help. Uh, that sort of thing at this point in the story cannot be terribly surprising to Jesus, even if it is really frustrating to Jesus. And what I notice is in the moment, Jesus works the problem. He works the problem like a pro, which is to say he knows, he knows what to do, right? He's got the right tool for the job. Um, and, and Jesus takes a moment to improve his faith environment. He's like, oh, you guys failed at the healing? Seriously? You all should have this by now. I'm very frustrated in you. Bring the boy over here to me, he says. Bring the boy to me, some of your translations of the Bible will say. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that Jesus is separating himself and the boy from the other people, from the crowd, right? He's practicing social distancing. It's right here in Scripture. Uh, but in this instance, it's because he wants to protect his moment of ministry. He wants to protect the boy. He wants to protect himself from the virus of, I don't know, doubt or fear or cynicism, whatever it is, in the crowd. He wants to kind of separate the boy. Hey, bring him over here. Bring him over here. Now that I am in a sanitized faith environment, now I can do some miracles. Now I've improved the situation. Now it can just be uh, my faith, um, and I don't have to deal with the noise of the crowd, with the contagion of the crowd, uh, in, in other words. Bring the boy to me. He works the problem like a pro. He improves his faith environment through buffering. And lo and behold, Jesus does the miracle, which is exactly what you would expect if you've been reading along in this, uh, this scripture adventure. And then a really interesting thing happens. A really interesting thing happens later. Later, the disciples approach him privately, which is always a really great thing to do if you're a disciple of Jesus. In a quiet moment, you're like, "All right, um, I probably have something I should be learning from all of that." Jesus, let me ask you a question. And the disciples say, "Why couldn't we cast it out? Why did we fail?" And that's very interesting uh, that they should say that. Have you ever been surprised when you failed to pull off a huge supernatural miracle? I know some of you have been surprised when you have succeeded yeah. at pulling off yeah. uh, a big supernatural miracle. Uh, I might be surprised that you're able to do something successful and supernatural. Um, <clears throat> no comment? No comment from the crowd? Um, but they, they were like, you know, we have done this before. This ain't our first rodeo. We've healed a lot of people. You sent us out on, a, on missions by ourselves, and we saw a lot of miracles. We've seen, you know, resurrection of the dead. Like, we have seen all of these things. Jesus, today we failed to help a very sick little boy whom we really wanted to help, you know, for the boy's sake if not to look good in front of this crowd. Um, we failed. What gives, Jesus? Teach us something here. And uh, 
That's a wise, a wise question that they ask. And then Jesus responds to them and he says, well, it's because you lacked faith. You didn't have enough faith. Um, and then he gives um, what is a very famous teaching, a very well-known line. He says, if you have faith it's the size of a mustard seed, right, just, if you just do that well at it, then you can say to this mountain, move here, and it will move. You can move a mountain from here to there, is what it says here in the Matthew uh, version. These guys were veterans. They had had experiences of high faith translating to great miracles, but on this day, it didn't work out for them. And Jesus points out the variability in their faith. And they well, guys, let me tell you, you didn't have it today. You lacked faith. And let me say to you that if you have just a little seed of faith, you can pull off miracles that, were even, that are even bigger than this. Jesus diagnoses their lack of faith. Um, He could have been, I think, a little less direct about it because it probably wasn't just the disciples' lack of faith. There was lack of faith in the crowd as well, right? The crowd was not helping them. The Mark version of the story makes this more clear. It says that when Jesus first entered the crowd, there were some religious experts there and they were arguing with the disciples. Uh, they were uh, religious troublemakers that were probably accusing the disciples of doing uh, ungodly things in their ministry. You know, so it was a very cynical, contentious, accusatory environment. And that wasn't helping the disciples to do their jobs. What exactly does Jesus, what is he getting at when he says, boys, you lacked faith? Right? Remember, remember the mustard seed. It's a tiny little seed, but if you have just this much faith, you should have been able to pull this off and indeed bigger things as well. <clears throat> Sometimes the crowd gets to us. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is pointing to here. It's like, guys, you had a faith crisis. Think about why that might be. You've pulled off miracles in the past. Why not today? Yeah, I know the crowd was contentious. The crowd crowded in on your faith, didn't it? What's crowding out your faith? I think is a, a loose paraphrase of what Jesus wants to get at here. It's a good question for us. What's crowding out your faith these days? Normally, you might be a high faith person, but contagion of uncertainty, anxiety, and fear can kind of crowd out the faith that you have. Um, there's a whole crowd of fear in the world right now, isn't there? There's a whole crowd of virus-related fear and virus-related anxiety. There are loads of accusations flying through the air. Pick your news outlet and read the stories. You're not going to get fact-based stories. You're going to get stories that are filled with 
accusations and counter accusations and until the accusations themselves become the news you're going to get stories about anxieties and how people are dealing with anxieties or failing to deal with anxieties I mean fear is the story as much as the virus itself is the story um, loads of fear in the environment loads of anxiety in the crowd right now which is probably what we should expect generally in life people love to throw anxiety around even in less dangerous times uh, people love to fill in the gaps of life you know there are a lot of gaps in life gaps where you don't know what's going to happen right? you don't know how you're going to get from one side to the other and in those gaps you always have a choice you can fill it with fear make fear your bridge or of course you can fill it with faith with I don't know a positive attitude if you want to be very generic about it um, a lot of people if they're not sure about something they automatically worry about it instead of taking the opportunity to think positively uncertainty can be an opportunity to worry uncertainty can be an opportunity to think positive there's always a choice there's always a choice that we make why is anxiety so attractive to people well I mean there is an upside to anxiety there is an upside to worry there is an upside to that sort of fear and the upside is if you worried about a lot of things it can help make you ready for things right I mean that's that's why we like worry if we're worried about something then we'll constantly be thinking about how to make the situation go better right we don't want to just bliss out and shrug our shoulders about the dangers of the world if we worry it will help us to get ready it will motivate us to get ready right and so worry has a strong survival component to it and I mean that that's that's positive uh, ad admittedly that's positive worry can make you ready for anything except a miracle worry cannot make you ready for a miracle only faith can do that and there you go I mean there's the tension right Mir worry can can make you ready for certain things but worry is, is is never the prelude to a miracle fear is never the prelude to a miracle not directly there has to be some intervening faith there has to be a moment in which faith, positive expectation, faith attitude overcomes. Otherwise, the miracle, uh, miracle probably won't happen. So Jesus comes into this situation. Obviously, it's filled with worry, right? Uh, and he diagnoses faith issues in the crowd. He diagnoses faith issues among his disciples. <clears throat> And Jesus worked it like a pro. He comes into this situation, this desperate situation, and he worked it like a pro. He figured out that there was a faith problem. He figured out there was a fear problem, in other words. And he separates the boy out. He creates for himself a good little ministry micro-environment where it's just him and the kid and you know, maybe his dad was there. 
he got clear of all the anxiety, he changed his atmosphere, and then he threw down, he cast out the demon. Then he could do it. He had the faith to do the miracle. He took practical steps. He worked it like a faith pro. He knows how faith works, he knows how anxiety works, and he took a moment, he navigated, and he got the situation to a positive place. And then, well, and then the miracle happened. Later on, he said, look, disciples, you lacked faith. In context, I think what he was saying is, look, guys, clearly there was a faith problem. You didn't work it like pros. You didn't take the practical steps that you needed to take to turn the anxious situation into the faith situation. And, and that was your failure. It's not that the disciples struggled with a lack of faith. That's understandable in an anxious situation. It's that they didn't do anything about their lack of faith. You understand the difference? This is a very important distinction, I think, in this story and in life. It's not that the disciples struggled with lack of faith. It's that they didn't do anything about it. They didn't work the situation. Anybody walking into that situation, just like Jesus, could say, wow, this faith environment stinks. Man, there's, there's a lot of unbelief here. There's a lot of twistedness going on right now. I have to do something to improve the situation for this poor little kid. Jesus took practical steps. The disciples, by contrast, maybe they can make the same diagnosis. Wow, there's a lot of contention here. There's a lot of unbelief. Uh, we know from past stories in the book of Matthew that when there is unbelief, it's hard to pull off a miracle. Let's just sit here and do nothing and wait for Jesus to come and rescue us. Right? They didn't work it. You understand? They didn't work it. Do you guys understand? Yeah. Are you following me? Give me some love, people. Keep yeah. going. All right. These guys understand. And they're not the brightest pennies in the pocket. So, yeah. Uh, so, hopefully you're following. He doesn't believe I'll quit. The story here doesn't say uh, that you should just be able to snap your fingers and do miracles. Uh, whatever and whatever. The story says that you should always be working to find your way to a miracle. You should always be working to find your way to miracle working power. You should always be working to find your way into a better faith environment, even if you yourself have to do something to stoke or to buffer that faith environment, right? Are you following? Yep. Yeah. And, and this is what Jesus is getting at, I think, when he gives the, you only need faith the size of a mustard seed part of, of this teaching. That's how he closes it. He said, guys, you failed because you lacked faith. Let me remind you. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you should ultimately be able to move mountains. And in other versions of this story, he unpacks that mustard seed teaching a little bit. He says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, which, although it is the smallest seed in the garden, grows to be this huge bush, then you should be able to move a mountain. In comparing faith to a tiny seed, Jesus is implicitly reminding the disciples that faith is something that you grow. 
faith is something that you grow. The nature of faith is like a, a seed. So in context of this story, Jesus seems to be saying, if you start, take a bad situation, but if you start with a little bit of faith yourself, and you do what you can to get that seed growing, well, then you'll eventually be able to move any dang mountain you want to move. But you got to have that faith growth mindset. You got to figure out a way to work the problem. You got to do it like a faith pro, people. You all are veterans. You guys should know this by now. It's kind of what Jesus is saying in this story. You might have one tiny little seed of faith in the midst of a whole situation of dirt and manure. But if you've got a pile of dirt and manure, here's what you do. You plant the seed in it. What happens? The sucker grows. Trust the seed, not the pile. Trust the seed and work it, man. Work it until it becomes so large that it can shelter birds and anyone else who comes along with need. And God help us, there are a lot of people who need to participate in your sheltering faith in this season of the world. Work the problem, people. You might only have this much faith, and the world might be giving you a whole pile of dirt and manure. Work the seed. Trust it. It'll grow. That's what faith does if you go with it. If you keep choosing faith instead of getting twisted into fear and anxiety. Trust the seed. Say it with me. Trust, Trust the seed. You guys are really coming along. Uh, you may have noticed uh, that uh, in the Gospel of Matthew that we've been going through, uh, it's just story after story of faith versus fear. Faith versus fear in every story. That's kind of the structure of the book of Matthew. This is no accident because this is how life works. Life is always faith versus fear. That's life. Pick your side. We fight on the side of faith. That's our call. That is who we are. That is what we do. That is our job. That is our profession. So let us do faith like a pro, like a professional would. We trust in faith every time. And we might not have as much faith as we need in the moment. We might not have enough faith to overcome the crowd and do the miracle in the moment. But we're going to take the little bit that we have, and man, we're going to tend to it. We're going to stoke it. We're going to fertilize it. We're going to keep focusing on it and keep trusting it until we do have the faith and therefore the power that we need to get where we need to go. If you're walking on water, like Ben talked about last week, the story from Matthew 14. Don't freak out, man, because as soon as you freak out, you start to sink, right? Trust it. Trust the try. If you have thousands of people that you need to take care of, like Jesus and the disciples did in the story of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, well, I mean, I don't know. Start with what you got. If you got one little lunch, start there. Sprinkle faith. See what happens. Trust a little bit. You know, trust, trust the seed. 
if God seems to be extra hard on you in this season, right? Remember how he sent out the disciples without him in Matthew chapter 10. He forbid them to take money. He forbade them to take clothes. He didn't let them take uh, extra sandals or staff or he sent them to places where they had no friends to help. He made it extra hard on them. And maybe he's doing that for you because he wants to strengthen you up. He wants to make you excel in your calling. He wants to teach you from this time forward that really faith and trust is what overcomes, not material plenty or safety. Uh, when Jesus encountered faith in that bleeding woman that snuck up behind him and touched his cloak and got well, he turned around to her and didn't say, that's the miracle working power of God. He said, your faith healed you. Of course God's power had a huge role to play, but Jesus wanted to extol her faith. It's like, that's what I need to do my work in the world. I, I just need people to give me faith. That woman had to cut through the crowd to reach Jesus. In this story, the disciples succumb to the crowd, succumb to the anxiety in the crowd. The woman got the miracle and the disciples didn't. You know, we could go on. There's just tons of stories in the Gospel of Matthew. Faith versus fear. All the other Gospels are pretty similar. But here's a way to summarize it. This is a sermon series on stuff Jesus did. The stuff Jesus did, his actions. Clearly, whatever Jesus does, he does by faith. That's the summary. We see it again and again. Whatever Jesus does, he does by faith. In faith, because of faith, however you want to put it. Our problem, and the thing, the thing that makes us perverse and twisted on occasion, is that we do things by fear. We do things in anxiety. We do things because of accusation or suspicion or negativity or whatever. We're, we're moving in the wrong spirit. And then we wonder why miracles don't happen when we want them. Well, the, the raw fact is sometimes you got to work the miracle. Sometimes you got to do the faith work. And we probably need to do it like a pro. We probably need to get the hang of it. Jesus partners with us to get things done in the world. Lord, why don't I see the breakthrough that I want to see? Well, were you working it in faith? Or were you laboring in anxiety? Have you been working it in faith? Or have you been laboring in anxiety? Good question for us all. Are you laboring in the spirit of accusation, negativity, outrage, alarmism? Have you chosen anxiety, accusation, negativity, outrage, alarmism because it makes you feel ready, makes you feel strong? Because it will make you ready and strong to an extent, but it won't make you ready for a miracle. Time to think it through. I need to think it through daily. Because left to its own devices, my attitude tends to suck. Quack? You suck. Uh, people bring me problems all the time, which is really good because it's kind of my role. Uh, I'm a pastor and stuff. But over the years, I've learned to discern. Some people bring me problems in faith, 
And some people bring me problems in anxiety. And, and maybe you know uh, what I'm talking about. Uh, very, very often it seems as if people want to share their anxiety more than they want a solution to their problem. And I understand this, man. It's because anxiety is a bit addictive. It makes you feel safe in a way. And, and, and you want people to share your anxiety because it's very bonding. It's very helpful for a little while. There's a comfort that comes from sharing anxiety, but it is not a particularly helpful comfort. At best, it makes you feel temporarily close to people and temporarily safe. But it will erode you over time. It will, it will perversify if that's a word. It will twist. Uh, so you have to be pretty careful with it. The boy's father brings the little boy to Jesus. And in this story, the first thing he says to Jesus is, Your disciples failed me! Ah! And there was something about his attitude that triggered Jesus. That's the moment in the story where Jesus is like, Oh, you unbelieving people! You perverse people! Seriously? This is what you give me to work with? I can work with it. I'm a faith pro. Let's just bring the boy over here. And he figures out what needs to be done. Uh, you came to me for help, Jesus says. But dad, somehow your faith got corrupted along the way. You seem to be stuck in a moment of tremendous anxiety, and that's not particularly helpful to miracle working. Let's go over here. Let's take a time out. Let's hunker down. Let's improve the attitude environment. And then I'll be able to help you. And there's a very practical lesson for us in the way that Jesus worked the problem. Jesus finds a way to help anyway. Even though the environment started toxic, Jesus finds a way to help anyway. And, and we should all learn from this. A problem is a problem. The only question is, in what spirit do you work it? In what spirit do you work it? This is a battle, and it's not always an easy battle, but it is the battle every time. Faith versus fear. Do you work it in faith, or do you labor in anxiety? All right, so let's just end this uh, with a few application questions. Uh, number one, for your reflection. Hey, guys, it's an anxious time for all sorts of reasons. What's crowding in on you? What's, what's the crowd around you that is pushing out your faith? What's crowding in on you? Go, answer it for yourself. Think about it. I'll give you a moment. What's crowding out the faith? Could be one giant thing. It might well be virus-related. In all likelihood, it started with one or two things and has become many because fear grows just like faith does. So it might be a, a multiplicity of things. But just take a moment and just try to get a handle on a few of them. Ah, I really think that's burdening in a way that's crowding out faith. Fear is fear. Anxiety is an anxiety, and that stuff can be real. Don't fertilize it. You don't want that to grow. 
It is what it is, but respond to it with faith if you can. So here's step one and application point number two, question number two. How can you improve faith attitude? How can you improve your faith attitude? How can you improve the faith attitude in the people around you? Maybe you need to take a moment to get your own head on straight. Maybe you need a little social distancing in a good way. How can you improve your faith attitude? Whatever way you choose to do it, in that first moment, it will feel a little bit risky and ridiculous. Just so you know. And I just wanted to end uh, with this statement here. Uh, we are Blue Water Mission. Yes. Many of us are veterans here. We are, at this point, veterans of faith. We know the game. We know the nature of the game, right? It's faith versus fear. There are a lot of veterans out there listening to this. For heaven's sake, let's remember and work the situation like pros. If you're a faith veteran, if you know how to be a faith pro, don't act like an amateur right now. Right? Let me let that just kind of be a helpful reminder for us all. When the whole world is in freakout mode, justifiably so in a way, right? I mean, there's a lot of worry that makes us ready. You know, prudence can be enormously valuable. But we also want to work the problem in faith. You know this, many of you. You're, you've You've seen a miracle or two. You've walked with Jesus a mile or two. If you are a faith pro, act like a faith pro. Whatever situation you're in, work it. If you've got this much faith, that's fine. That's fine because all you need is a start, right? To get an apple tree, all you need is the seed. So do what you can to make it grow. And while worry might protect you from, oh, I don't know, a virus. It's only faith that will lead you to a miracle. It's only faith that will lead you to the breakthrough. You got this, guys. You got this. And you know what? We're going to be fine. We are totally going to get through this. We're going to get through our collective situation. And I can tell you, on good authority, you're going to get through your personal challenging situation. You can do this. Just work it like a pro, man. If you don't have great faith, no problem. Take a little bit, stick it in a pile of dirt and manure and watch what happens. Just keep on it. You know, I don't, I don't care if we need to walk on water. I have it on good authority that that can be done from time to time. I don't care if we have to produce much out of virtually nothing. Just start with a lunch and feed thousands of people. Uh, maybe we need to heal the sick. Maybe we need to raise the dead. We have records of all of these things. Maybe we need to cut through the crowd. Maybe we need to separate from the crowd. 
All of these are techniques that a pro might use. And we know how to get there, even if we're not there right now. Even if we've only got a small start, we can do it. We got skills, people. Yes, we, we got faith skills. Amen. We got faith skills. We just got to use them. Woo. We're pros. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, I pray, Lord, <clears throat> as the Apostle Paul prayed, that we would live a life worthy of our calling. Uh, that we would rise to the occasion in faith, that whatever we do, we would do it in a spirit of faith and, and not merely in a spirit of worry, anxiety, or fear. I pray that we would not trust anxiety nearly as much as we trust faith. And I pray, Father, for our general community uh, situation, and I pray, Father, for all of the personal situations that the atmosphere of anxiety seems to amplify right now. I pray, Lord, that in this season, this day, this week, we would behave like a faith pro. That we would use every skill that you have meticulously taught us over the months and the years. We just work it that we trust the seed, that we trust the little bit that we do have and the little bit that we can do to grow, to become a shelter, to become deliverance, to become healing, to become the miracle. I pray, Father, that even in this moment you would speak to people wherever they're sitting, in whatever attitudinal space they're in, speak. And I bless you, brothers and sisters, to be light in a dark and anxious world. I bless you to become the giant in your calling. I bless you to be the one that makes it work. In the name of Jesus, I constrict the spirit of fear and anxiety. <clears throat> I think there are some of us that are entering this virus season with anxieties that have nothing to do with the virus, you know, and counterintuitively, what's going to happen is that this season of global anxiety becomes the season of deliverance for you from your garden variety anxieties. This is it, man. This is it, because the battle has just become clear. This is the battle every time. But now it's just awesomely clear. It's faith versus fear. What wins in you? I pray, Lord, that we would be wise and prudent, but we would also be wise and full of faith.
In Jesus' name, amen.